to St. Paul to be honorable among all men, therefore not to be enterprised or taken in hand unadvisedly, lightly, wantonly, to satisfy men's carnal lusts and appetites, like brute beasts that have no understanding, but reverently discreetly advises. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's got, I mean, if it were, weren't paper, you know, it weren't paper, it's got a nice, uh, What's the title of that? That's a 1949 Book of Comfort. Oh, it is? That's your, oh. that, that, and the, the, that's, that, that is the traditional marriage ceremony. That's the, that's the exhortation. Give the beloved or gather together in sight of God, which honorable state and institute of God, signifying unto us the, the mystical use which Christ in his church. Now, the American prayer book, Eliminated the, um, the 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 causes. We've actually put those back in by way of the Canadian prayer book. The Canadian prayer book is reestablished, which is um, to it's 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 because it's not good man to be alone. Mutual society and comfort, appropriation of children, and hmm. the felicitous language they use not as a remedy for fornication, but the natural the natural uh, fulfillment of of the sexual desire. Hmm. Those are the three purposes that the, the, the charge for marriage is always set forth. So, all right, well, we're here at 10.30. Let us pray. Blessed Lord has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and never hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, just given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And hi, Lindsay, who's with us uh, with that camera. Um, and Elizabeth has joined us since we've made our first online reading. And I, I think Cheryl's on her way up. Yeah. So um, we are in the second epistle of Peter. We've um, worked our way up to chapter 2, verse 12. And I want to reiterate um, what, I, what I talked about last time by way of introduction was that um, St. Peter is, in, in both the epistles we've studied, is situating the Christian life in a narrative, a story we're living in. And he's, he talks about faithfulness being um, faithful to that narrative. The essential narrative, what's the essential narrative? I'm not going to answer these questions for you all. <laughs> so what is the essential narrative or some of the, some of the a narrative that Peter is is, is or, or maybe we, we, I could ask a leading question, whose narrative governs that narrative, and what are the sort of essential components of the, of the narrative? We are citizens of heaven. Okay. Yeah. That's our true home. So, so Christ, we, yeah. he told us, in First Peter we talked about um, following Christ. What does following Christ entail? Where does, where does Christ go? We're in Lent, okay, let's just, we're in Lent. Where are we headed? Oh, the crucifixion and resurrection. Crucifixion and resurrection. So Peter is very big that these are themes of the Christian life. 
carrying the cross. Is and what? So how does this relate to suffering? In Peter's mind, <laughs> on the way to the cross, Christ, and on the cross, Christ endured great suffering, and we are supposed to share in the suffering of Christ. And what what kinds of people did he suggest who were suffering in his time could connect with this narrative? Or one particular category? The widows and the orphans. What's the most pointed reference, although I don't deny that that's the case? How about ancient workers? Oh, the slaves? Slaves, oh, of course. Slaves? Again, when you hear slaves in the New Testament, don't think, don't think about modern slavery of, of, and all the social justice issues we're talking about. Think about, think about as unjust as it may have been an ancient labor arrangement, ancient bonded servant workers. What did he say to them? Persevere, and and and. What did he say about their suffering? What if what if they were treated unjustly by their ma- bosses, masters? To stay in that why? To the glory of God, or to share in the sufferings of Christ? Because because, and what would be the reason just to to do that? Because Christ was perfect, and he suffered unjustly so okay but okay uh, quite uh, uh, apart from that because that might be a reason why we can't do it um what would be the reason follow an example of christ that that would that prime motivation to do it to develop our virtues of perseverance there's no question that that's part of it. That's a byproduct of it. But there's a larger point. We, we, it, it's just right before us. I, I to give glory to God. God. Where's it? It's always Jesus or to give glory to God. <laughs> well, but neither. Yeah, yeah. You're like you're like the children in the chapel. Who, I miss the question. Every question is second. Yes, the question is Jesus. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Come on, people. Why, why, why would this whole idea? Okay, listen. I don't. You're all right. It's not wrong to say that suffering produces virtue, or wrong to say that suffering is the glory of God. But be more selfish for a minute. <laughs> why would you want to participate in the sufferings of Christ in this life? Where are you headed? Heaven. Forget heaven. Oh, what, sanctification. Theosis. Resurrection. We okay, about resurrection. resurrection. Do you want to rise from the dead? Yeah. So what, what do you have, what's now. the pathway to resurrection? <laughs> the cross. And cross means to suffer, suffer in what manner? Die. But, but how does that connect to slave workers in the first century in your mm-hmm. life? Well, they're, they're enduring a lot of persecution yeah. and suffering. And so they're supposed to persevere in that. Because they will be saved and resurrected from there. And, and Peter's making the point that by remaining faithful to that pathway of obedience suffering, that's what confirms in you the hope of resurrection. And abandoning that path of obedience suffering. Saying, I'm not gonna I'm not going to follow Christ where I am. 
is, is the thing that, that sidetracks you from that hope. So we embrace the faithful. That's the narrative. I've talked about a narrative. That's the story we're living in. Why should you and why should you be faithful where you are and try to do the will of God in against opposition and sometimes when what you want you don't get? Well, because Jesus did that, and we see that God vindicated him in the resurrection, and because of his faithfulness, gave him everything he wanted. The implication in following him is if we endure in him and with him, in our own particular vocations, obeying Christ as it pertains to our unique stations of life. That's why we went through workers, marriages, families. That's all is about that. What's it look like to be faithful in all those stations? That's how we walk the path of the cross on the way to the resurrection. We do it because we want to be vindicated, because we don't need where we're trying. The narrative we're living in is a narrative, Peter's telling us, that doesn't seek to have the boss vindicate me, or my friends vindicate me, or the or the temporal authorities vindicate me. It seeks to have God vindicate me in the resurrection like he vindicated Jesus. And to do that, we have to continue in a path of faith and faithfulness. So truly a higher purpose. Higher purpose. The only thing I, you know, I push back against, hey, glory of God and do virtue, but those also, if they don't have a telos of resurrection, okay. why, why are you suffering? Oh, glory of God. Oh, so God just likes to beat the crap out of you. So, so mm -hmm. you, are, you are giving us examples, or you're uh, giving us an, yeah, examples of why this is an embodied. It's not just pie in the sky or something right. spiritual. We are embodied. We suffer here on earth, and it's important to know why we do that. Well, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it, I, would, I would put it the other way. If you don't place that suffering in the context of your, of your life narrative of following Christ, you won't be able to endure it. And because you'll, and this is, I, I think, what you're touching on something significant culturally, because a lot of times salvation is seen, well, I'm, I'm going to die and go to heaven. And it gets separated from the way we live. And so it won't matter if I'm faithful so much because I die and go to heaven. That's not what Peter's saying. Mm -hmm. and, and this is getting to Second Peter. This is why he says in the early part of Second Peter, um, for this very reason, verse chapter one, verse six, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control, perseverance. Perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. Mm -hmm. They leave you neither barren nor unfruitful, and they confirm that God is now vindicating you right now because you're living in him. As we come to the altar and we live in Christ, we are now, we are his, and we have the hope of resurrection. The converse implication is, if we don't, if we, if we drift from that vocation of faithful suffering. We drift out of communion, out of being partakers of the divine nature, and we, we risk drifting back into the judgment that's going to fall on the world because it doesn't obey God.
So narrative is really big in 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 Peter, and and um, and he says you also in Second Peter, just to kind of give us a little re- re- review, is that he says, and you should believe this because we are we've given you faithful testimony. We saw both the resurrection. He also talks about being witnesses. We talked last time or the time before about the transfiguration, mm-hmm. seeing the Father confirm the identity of the Son. And Peter, therefore, um, understood his own impending death. He's lived faithfully in Christ. He's going to die. He, he described it as an exodus, an exodus from temporality into the eternal into eternal life and resurrection, the hope of resurrection. And so he means we're bearing witness to you of this way to live. And that's the backdrop which can move us forward into closer to where we are today. We start talking about the false teachers. Um, first, they're false. They're not eyewitnesses of Christ and God's voice. They are um, telling you things that are, you know, are just ideas they've come to, especially the ancient Gnostic heresies, not rooted in the scriptures, the revelation, or the eyewitness, the apostles, but what some dude thought he saw. Oh, I have an insight. Where'd you get the insight? Wow, God spoke to me. But uh, like you see in, the, in in our culture now, as soon as God spoke to me, that's why First John says, test the spirits. If God spoke to you, we want to make sure it's really consistent with God, what God is saying in general, because God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't say, here in the scriptures, do this, and then, oh, hey, but Joe, you're you're exempted from that. You go tell some people to follow you, and they'll pay any attention to it. And that's why they're in chapter two. He talks about false teachers. Um, they'll creep in 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 uh, chapter two, uh, verse one. They're false teachers, prophets among the people. Then in the past, there'll be false teachers among you. They'll secretly bring in heresies, denying the Lord. And they'll draw people away from this pathway of obedient and faithful following of Christ through the cross to the resurrection into the promise of temporal fulfillment, mm-hmm. which is disobedient, that leads to eventual judgment. And so the narrative he's, he's picked up with these false teachers is just that. This is a different narrative. And, he, and when he's comparing it to the Old Testament, um, we talked last night about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know they were they were they were known to pursue what they wanted now, but they 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 um, suffered judgment. He talked about uh, Noah and the flood. Um, he talked about the angels in Genesis five, the, the sons of God who saw the daughters of women that they were fair and breached the natural boundary of their angelic existence to 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 mate with human women. He said they've been chained and reserved for the day of judgment because they they took what they wanted right now rather than endure patiently in in what God has made them to be and promised them. And so um, that's what we kind of pick up today. Well, the last time we we. Um, and, and, and the characteristic of um, the fallen angels, the angels who, who didn't keep their boundaries, is um, 
he, he says, uh, it comes over into human people who don't want to obey the boundaries that God has established. He says they're presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Because angels, why? Because they're going to stay innocent. This is why we have to be careful about slander and envy. We can certainly say this is wrong. Um, this we pick up in verse 12 here. He says, But these like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness, as those who counted pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Now, the point of salvation, this is a very important point to understand, it goes back to chapter 1 of 1 Peter, where Peter says we become partakers of the divine nature, and we've escaped, he said, the corruption that is in the world through disordered desire. So by the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God's word, as we live that out, we have the ability to, to say no to the things that, that will pull us away from that union with God. We have the ability not to replay the Genesis 3 scene in the Garden of Eden, where we see the tree, and oh, it looks good. Um, and then we're all of a sudden we're overcome by, by, the, by the corruption. Um, and, and so the point of, of that disobedience is it, it separates us from God, leads to the disintegration of our being, and ends in death. That's why that's the other narr these narratives we have to understand where this it's not a matter of, you know, you see something like, I like that. Yeah, okay, well, and so on a, on a merely animal level, you go get that. But in understanding the larger narrative, oh, God has said not to do this for a reason. There's a boundary around it. For some reason, this does not honor God or love, or, 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 or it's not the means of me to love my neighbor, so I'm not to do that. So I will honor that boundary, because that, that's going to be death-giving, and I want to pursue life. It's kind of the idea of, of saying no to say yes. And what people understand when we say yes to, to the things that aren't of God, we're also uttering a no. The idea of beasts here is a significant thing because it's also a biblical image um, that, that can inform some things we've been talking about in some of our classes about uh, thoughtfulness and reactivity. And, and um, if you look at the creation in Genesis, um, you have the creation of, of you know the light, darkness, heaven, earth, various animals. So all these animals are created, including beasts. But God makes man distinct from the animals by um, breathing into his nostrils the breath of life, endowing him in the image of God. And the image of God um, implies an ability to live above the level of mere instinct. 
into I can decide to do this and not to do that. And that above the level of mere instinct is, is essential for relationship. Um, in other words, like in the animal kingdom, when people, for example, when, when animals mate up, they don't have a even they don't choose who they love, they don't have arranged marriage, they just okay, whatever's there, and then of course if another guy sees the same thing, they'll have a fight, and then, you know, let's say you get the, the biggest, strongest guy gets the... But no one's thoughtfully saying, hmm. There's, it's instinctual. But the idea of being in the image of God is that we can say, God said not to do this. And so even though I'm bigger and stronger and I can take that from you, that's not what God wants. God wants me to protect with the boundaries he's placed you from me and me from you, so I can thoughtfully decide, I will do what God says. I will, I will live in the order of, of God's creation. And throughout the scriptures then, the um, moving, growing in grace, growing in, in Christ-likeness, is growing in the greater sense of the ability to, to discern the will of God from evil and choose the good and not the evil. And the movement away from God-likeness, Christ-likeness, in its clearest sense, is a, a descent into beastliness. And so this is what happens in Genesis, when you see um, what happens after the fall of man in Genesis 3, is the digression of men into beasts. Um, Cain, he's angry, because his brother got favor, he didn't get it, well, he'll kill him. Then you have, um, who am I thinking of, uh, after that, who gets avenged sevenfold. And then the, the flood is occasioned because the wickedness, wickedness is just, I, after the matter of the angels, we're going to do what we want to do. They start doing whatever they want to do, and the humans start doing whatever they want to do, and you have the disintegration of creation because nobody is obeying the word of God. And and it's the reversal of the creative process. So in Genesis 1, God speaks his word, and his spirit forms everything in harmony with his word. And you have order and beauty and life and holiness. When then the human beings who are put in charge of creation disobey his word, and that begins to spread, you have a disobedience to God's word, and not being governed by the word, it starts to disintegrate and fall apart, ultimately into the destruction of the flood. So these fallen angels, uh, can you, I don't know if this is too much of a diversion, but where do demons come in? Fall yeah, you know, the, the, the various um, angelic fall falls where we, we don't have the whole biography uh, distinguished of angels. Um, clearly, these seem to be, a, you know, are clearly among that crew, although that seems to be a group referred to by Peter in some, in some manner that's separate from, you know, the Satan or the devil, who, whose, whose narrative seems to be that at the very beginning, I mean, the mythology of that in the Christian tradition sort of comes out of the illusions of Isaiah, I want to say 14, where, where the king of Babylon is likened unto to, uh, Satan, 
uh, it seems to be that he was created a glorious angel, Lucifer, the light bearer, but, but was envious of the more glorious son of God and tried to lift himself up and therefore was thrown down. Notice in this regard how the first sin of, of humans, what well, we could be like, ah, I'll lift myself up. And, 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 and they're thrown down. And the mystery of the New Testament that Christ reveals is actually the way to exaltation is through humility. humility. Because Christ humbles himself and becomes obedient unto death, the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And this is the narrative of the cross. So all the, the demonic grasping is false, is is uh, it's like um, it's natural human logic, but it's not divine logic. In the logic of the kingdom, the wisdom, as as and Saint Paul says this in Corinthians, the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Why would you? Why would you? Let's see. Get this straight. You, you're. But that's that. That's the foolishness. But that's um, and but that's what humans were supposed to be in the very beginning. It's not some new thing. Adam and Eve were supposed to say, "I want this," but God said not to do it. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to put my faith in Him, and I'm going to suffer the lack of fulfillment that comes from not doing this thing I want in order that I might follow God. And in that in that obedience then they, God would have given them what they needed at each stage, given humans what they needed at each stage, they were ready to learn it. And we're the same way now. We're back with our baptism, and, and through faith, we are reconnected with God in Christ through the Spirit, and we have the same testing. Will you do this? And as we, as we humble ourselves and through humble obedience follow Christ, God gradually exalts us or, or reforms us in, into his image, which is very different from the image of the grasping world, which is beastly. Because when I grab what I want, without regard to God's word, which is love for him and love for others, um, I just start stepping all over people. And... It's, it's, it's interesting, the logic of this, wow, two people doing whatever they want to do, or I just, just you know, I didn't hurt anybody. There's no way that your breach of, of, of God's word and moral boundaries doesn't hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. It, and at the very least, it, 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 it is you're saying, my independence is more important than, than listening to what God has to say. So... Mm-hmm. Um, this is what, so be, the beastliness, and we see it comes into, um, for example, in the book of Daniel, where um, Daniel has these visions, and it's a vision, those of you who've been with us through the Revelation study, is primarily in Daniel, where Daniel has a vision of one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, Daniel 7, 13, 14, coming to the Ancient of Days. But Daniel has this vision in the midst of a vision of four kingdoms. And the rulers of the kingdoms are all characterized as beasts. A lion, a bear, a bowler. And here's one like the son of man, Jesus. What, what does that mean? The genuinely human one. 
the one who is really in the image of God, and therefore does God's will and does not grasp and devour. And, and so the point of being in Christ is that we're freed from the need to grasp and devour and take what I need at the expense of others. We can control, or we're learning to control, our desires so they don't cause us to go outside of what God wants for us and get hurt. Or hurt others. Or hurt others. Mm-hmm. And then, so so these, but these, the, the heresies that Peter's talking about, which are just like the ones you see around today, they say, you can do whatever you want to do. God, you're free. It's all this matter. So, you know, Go for it. God, and God, God forgives you. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's all good. It's not what Peter's saying. Mm-hmm. So there are two narratives, and it's actually a timeless narrative. It's the same old narrative. And that's why Peter's giving these examples scripturally, saying this is not a new thing. They're just doing what the angels in Genesis 5 did. So, he says, um, you know, the utterly perishing on corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who counted pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. So in other words, the people who are in their community who are um, preaching you know, false, their false prophets in their midst, having eyes full of adultery and that they cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophets. What's, what's the story of Balaam? The donkey saw an angel. So let, let's go back to the beginning of the story. What? Who was Balaam? Balaam was a prophet, and Balak told him, come curse these, these people, and he said, I can't curse the people of So, So the, the setting is, is um, in numbers, and it's Israel has come out of Egypt in the Exodus, journeying towards the end of the wilderness in the Promised Land, and they're approaching as a, um, uh, as a, as a large people, the country of Moab, and the king of Moab, uh, Balak, is afraid of him. Afraid of them. So he's aware that there's a prophet, Balaam, who, uh, and because in, in the ancient world, uh, they believed in spells and curses and blessings in a way which we ought to probably believe more in. Um, he wants to go and, 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 and hire this prophet, Balaam, to put a curse on Israel so that Moab will be protected from the coming onslaught of this people who is, who is, who is as was promised to Jacob, be like the sand of the sea and the stars and the sky. They're, they're fruitful. They're reproducing. So he goes to Balaam and says, curse them for me. And Balaam goes and talks to God, and God says, no, I don't know curse them. They're not cursed. So he says, I can't do it. So he sends messengers back to King Balak, and Balak says, um, 
Well, I tell you what, here, take a bunch more money and go ask him again. Hmm. So he takes money and he goes ask Balaam again. And Balaam looks at money and says, hmm. let me go, let me see if God maybe is, um, and, and just notice, notice here what, um, notice here what happens in this, and notice the likeness to our own lives, is we know the commandment of God. No. But then we encounter the, the thing that we shouldn't do again, and it's more rewarding this time. So let's go have another conference with God about whether he really meant what he said. Or maybe God And this is why I like, we put, you know, like some of these churches used to have committee meetings on the, you know, what's, <laughs> what is the, what is this, you know, what does this mean? What does theft mean in the modern world? Or, you know, so, so Balaam looks at the money and goes back and then, and, and so his heart is beginning to be drawn by the money. And God says, okay, go. Because it's interesting. He says, well, why is God saying that? Because God lets you learn by your own. And if, you, if you're bent on doing the wrong thing, you're going to find a way to say, oh, God told me. And so then he goes on the way, and all the way is on a donkey, and there's a, he, he encounters um, an angel in the road with a sword. It's going to cut the donkey's head off and, and, and kill him. But the donkey sees it, the danger. Balaam doesn't see it. And what's interesting about that is the way Balaam's going is dangerous, and a dumb donkey knows it's dangerous. Balaam has no idea the slippery slope he's gone on to reject the word of God for money. Mm-hmm. Now, he goes in, in the event, he goes and offers three, he goes to curse, and he doesn't curse because God gives him a blessing he can only do in his powers of prophet, what God says to do. But the tradition is that afterward, uh, the king uh, of um, Moab paid him money to counsel them on how to undermine Israel. And what Balaam uh, told them is that if you get them to participate in your pagan festivals, you can undermine their spiritual power. So Balaam becomes the poster boy for the prophet who sells out for money because he wants profit. And this is why, um, this is one thing we have to be particularly careful in our time about, and, 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 and it's easy to, yeah, you know, Balaam's a pretty obvious example, but if we translate it into our time, since everything is framed in economic terms, and there are rewards for all manner of things all around us, we just have to be really careful about this. Um, you know, we, for example, um, there's a commercial world mm-hmm. where people make a lot of money selling products. But do people sell products they don't even think are good because somebody pays them a million? I, I think about these athletes who, who how, many, how many of those guys actually do that stuff? Mm-hmm. But because you get money, and so the point is, at least as general sense, that if it's a profit, oh, and they might do it. Well, okay. And then we, then we start moralizing, well, maybe this isn't, maybe, and we start compromising the principles of what we're doing because we see the gain and it becomes perfectly natural to us. So this is how we follow that thing. And, and before we throw stones, we all, we are all tempted to do that in some way in our life. And we just have to understand that, we have to understand that temptation. That's what he's, that is the, the, the way of Balaam, son of Beor, 
who love the wages of unrighteousness, who is, who is rebuked by donkey. And that's why we have to always realize that sometimes following Christ means saying no in a severe way to things that are attractive. Mm -hmm. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to cut it off. In other words, don't, don't tolerate that kind of stuff and have you drift into something that, that isn't good for you. Not because God doesn't want you to have things that seem good for you, but because they seem good for you. They're not good for you. It's like, um, you know, there's lots of obvious examples of this, but actually, you know, I, I find that potato chips are very tasty. <laughs> so if you can get a bag of barbecue chips, I eat the whole thing. Yeah, I if, I, if, I, oh, if I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, if I didn't know, that that really is not going to result in something good for me. And so the, the moral breaches we're tempted to are much like that. Whatever it is, you yeah, you can do this. You have to know, hmm, oh, what's the impact of that once I ingest it and put all that in there? Bet you can't eat just one. Yeah. And um, they design them so that part of your, your stopping center turns off and your salty center turns on. So it's they designed them so that yeah. it's exactly even for you to keep eating. Well, this is this is something I want. I want to. Um, I, I think we have to beware in our in our world how ubiquitous that consumer tends. I want to say something. Even uh, if you gore a few more oxes here, um, that's even with your your media habits. Mm -hmm. You think you're watching a news show that's giving information? Forget about it. They've already. Plotted and planned ahead of time how to bring out contentious things and anxiety for things that will get you to watch. Or bring out children. They'll bring out little children to get you in a primitive mindset so that your fear brain goes, I've studied all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, sorry. So I don't but it's the same like, like homeless people who, who don't really want to do anything, you know, uh, but, but they know that a dog and a child get them twice as much money every day. Yeah. So... Anyway, so the, 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 but my point is that this idea of um, being drawn into what is attracted to our appetites but isn't really in accordance with the will of God. And, and I, I would say, I don't want to push this media thing too far, but I've seen it so much in the church where I don't care if you're liberal or, or conservative, is that uncharitableness to your enemy and viciousness is not Christian, mm -hmm. but is promoted and oh wow, because they why? Because they've been drawn into a narrative that isn't a biblical narrative. Mm -hmm. It's perfectly right to say I think this is right and this is wrong, and to you know and, and to have discourses where you but but to enter into to be drawn into anger, bitterness, envy, slander, and then um, to en and end up acting as though the temporal kingdom that you're advocating for is more important than the eternal one, that's exactly what St. Peter is talking about. Mm -hmm. They're promising you. And what, what happens, you know, just like an appetite love, we can say if we follow this, mm -hmm. you know, it's not going to be good for us. Do you really think that what you're really angry about, if you get everything you want, this, what, this world's going to become a paradise then? If your person's in and does everything you want them to do, then it's just all better? 
That's not the problem with the human condition, is, 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 a, is a lack of the right law. It's a fallenness, a disorder. And so we have the, 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 the life in the kingdom is life that is, where the kingdom is preeminent, and every other duty must be subsidiary. And appetite, and that's kind of what Lent is about. Mm-hmm. Like the call of the first Sunday in Lent, that our flesh being subdued to the spirit. We're trying to get our appetites subjected to the higher good of the kingdom. So that if this doesn't consistent with the kingdom, I'm not going to do it. That's why I stopped watching uh, news a long time ago, because I was getting angry all the time. I can't, I cannot live this life the way I want to live it. If, if every time I turn something on every day, it just gets me angry. And the other thing I thought about this, I, I would challenge people on this, I talked to somebody the other day, is there's this, also this feeling that all these things around us, presented us by media, are integral to our happiness or life. But if you turn that all off and focus on the people around you, your prayer, the good you can do, and don't even look at the news, or don't even forget what's going on on that national level for half a year, mm-hmm. and just focus on your prayer, on those around you, on, um, you know, uh, developing what you can do, and you, you'll discover you're, none of that really, you're happy, it only depends on that because you make it, mm-hmm. because you bring it into your life as a stimulus that then determines everything you do. Mm-hmm. And people say, wow, you're putting your head in the sand. Are you really, you really think that yelling and screaming on social media that everyone else is having an impact? Is that really changing our culture? What about this mode of living has really ennobled us and made us better as people. So that's, that's my rant on that. We can, but my point about Peter is, however you interpret it, is we, we have to, the kingdom, the principle of the kingdom of, of the yes to God and the no to other things has to be constant. And as physical appetites, it's also increasingly in a media world, the way our lower nature, our visceral, reactive, mechanisms are triggered by all these things and they pull us out of thoughtfulness, prayerfulness into reactivity, which makes us like the animals. That's how we become like brute beasts. And and you probably I, I certainly have experienced this in my life where I've allowed someone to trigger me and say, what just happened to you? Mm-hmm. And if you haven't had that where you just your your particular weakness might be different than mine you know, mine tends to be anger, you know, or uh, and like, uh, and, and uh, but that's how you do it. You get pulled out of the narrative, out of the prayerfulness of life in Christ, focusing on that into whatever visceral thing is around you. And then we we, we stop ascending. We start descending into love of the beasts. Um, Bishop, if anyone wants like an extra book. Uh, George MacDonald, C.S. Lewis said every book that he ever wrote was, he quoted indirectly or directly a guy named George MacDonald. And George MacDonald, and I read it on my YouTube channel if you want to hear me reading it, but I'm not trying to promote that. But it's like, uh, The Princess and the Curdy, The Princess and the Goblin. The, the second was The Princess and the Curdy. Um, he goes to this woman who's like the Holy Spirit, and he has to, Curdy puts his hand in these, he's a little like coal miner boy, puts his hand in this rose fire. And he gets the ability to to only he can only use it for God or he loses it, but he he can 
tell if a person's growing beast word or human word, and you can feel their hands within their hands, if what kind of beast they are, because he has to go serve the king, which is like us serving the king. So it's a beautiful story about him serving the king and about, you know, not using it for your own good, because his mom was like, here, test, test my hand. He's like, no, I can't do that unless God directs me. But anyway, it's just, but hers was going towards a human. She was beautiful, but rough outside because she was a working, you know, mom. But anyway, it's really, really good. And C.S. Lewis talks those, a lot those about are, that in the um, books. Those are all available on Audible as read books. Yeah. If you want, if you like the Jordan Bell books, so those ones are yeah. just the Goblin are. So Librivox yeah. has read them, but I read um, both of those on my YouTube channel. And, and so yeah, that's absolutely right. And the other thing—they're really good, deep in this concept. The, 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 the other thing, George McDonald. The other thing about the other thing about that is that in this narrative of the cross, because we're um, formed through pain. The damnedest thing is that God may be most powerfully at work when we feel like we're falling apart. Mm, good. <laughs> because the temptation is to run from the pain into the comfort. Mm -hmm. And when we like when we, we feel like I'm out of control and ask, Lord Jesus, help me, aha. Now God's got us where he wants us. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so it's it's the the, the, the the situation of relative helplessness that make us most open to the kingdom. Mm -hmm. I think that's why Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, they mm -hmm. should be comforted. Blessed are when you're not connected to things of the world and you have to depend upon God, you tend to be open to faith. The more comfortable we get, the easier it is to drift away. Those are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the black blackness of darkness forever. Um, because they're well, they're wells, you know, they're giving you anything life-giving. And it also speaks about the very serious culpability of those who lead others astray. Mm -hmm. You know, it's inevitable, Jesus said, that false prophets, you know, that people stumble, but woe to those by whom they stumble. It's better for them if a millstone were tied around their neck and they were drowned to death in the sea. That's why Peter's used that same language, darkness forever. It's like, oh, Peter, it's so rough. Well, our Lord said it more poetically, but same thing. Verse 18. When they speak great swelling words of emptiness. <laughs> so the, the implication here is that there's like, there might be an oratorical skill. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that St. Paul brought up in his letter to the Corinthians, because what's interesting in, in, in the Corinthian correspondence is that underlying it all, both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, is a faction in Corinth is not that enamored of Paul because he's not a very good speaker. He's not physically impressive, and he doesn't get up and wow the crowd. Um, in fact, St. Paul's the only man on record to have killed someone with a sermon. Yeah. Eutychus and Acts. He fell out he, the window. He's he so preached more, all night. Tired, and people fell asleep and the kid right. fell down and died. And then Paul had to go bring him back to life. So, um, Good thing he had that skill. But the point is that Paul, Paul, that's Paul, Paul's whole point about um, 
the wisdom of God manifest in weakness is that um, the fact that there's a Corinthian church, he made the point, and I wasn't impressive, that means that it's the power of God in you. Although St. Paul says, I, I may not have oratorical skills, but I have knowledge. <laughs> and you can say, but could we read his epistles and go, wow. But if you saw him, you'd be like a guy you know, just kind of... Uh, and there was, there was other people whom the, the Corinthians liked more as preachers. And there's a nuance here in the sense that um, in, you know, in speaking and preaching and teaching and reading books or getting counsel, we all prefer, we all um, connect in the best sense to some people more than others. That's not a bad thing. So it's okay, for example, like in our own framework of direction, if someone rather talk with uh, Father Hayden than me. That's great. Good. And some people buy. So, um, but we realize why, because that's great. Multiple things, everyone gets to, you know, but when you start saying, when you start saying, um, you have to be impressive and we're only going to um, pay attention to that which is shiny, fancy, and when you can't learn the word of God and wisdom from God from people who are less impressive or more humble, um, you were missing the point. So the great swelling words of emptiness, you know, they're, they, they, they put on a show, yeah. but um, they allure through the lust of the flesh. And this is something that has to be carried, lust of the flesh, um, he talks about through lewdness and, and that, but just a very sense of the lust of the flesh. We have to be careful um, in terms of when we're, in, in, you know, attracted to something. It's not bad to be inspired. It's good to be inspired to be lifted up. But is our attraction always because um, in this sort of marketing way, We've had our, you know, our, our oh, we're, we're fired up now, and we can't really encounter God unless something attracts us, a product, a thing, and this kind of we get like in the, you know, we're all this is we're all in it, so let's not. I'm not. I'm not being self righteous here. We go on, Peter. You know, I'm attracted to it, and the idea is, well, if I get this all, and so it's easy how that um, process transfers over into spiritual things. Oh, this is alluring, this is great. And and so the, the message, that's why the message of redemption through suffering is sometimes hard for people to swallow because it, it often tell it often talks about the necessity of enduring faithfully to a situation with not an immediate thing that you're going to have relief from. Not only endure, that yeah. is they persevere. They persevere. So, so this is why we talked about they lure through lusts and lusts of the flesh. This, when we hear that word lusts in the New Testament, different translations might use other words. That's not an intrinsically sexual term. It means desire, desires of the flesh. And that's what the desire for popularity or desire for gain. You know, it, it includes sexual desire, but it's not just that. It's anything that that lures our lower nature into wanting some temporal object of attention or satisfaction. 
Because in Luke 22, for Jesus, he says that, it is, and he said to them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You know what I mean? So it's that same word. And so it's like he has a desire for the good. Well, what we're talking about, and Cheryl's making a highlighting a very good point, which is why we want to serve that. We're talking about lust of the flesh are disordered desires. Mm -hmm. what, we're, what we're doing in the spirit is reordering our desires. And this is actually a, a, a principal distinction, I would say, between Christianity and what little I know of, of Buddhism. Buddhism says that we're, we're freed from suffering by becoming passionless. That the idea is that if the root of all suffering is desire, and the answer is to have no desire. That's not the Christian answer. It, we, it agrees that, 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 as Peter says, that yeah, the root of suffering is in, in disordered desire, but the, but the answer is reordered desire, and to desire God, to love God, and, and to pursue that with a, a fervency. It's not, it's not to give up desire. And that's a very important thing uh, that, that, that we have to, to get around that. Yeah. So um, they, they speak great scrolling words of emptiness. They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have escaped from those who live in error. What does that mean? Well, they're, they're trying to um, allure. They're like tempters, like, hey, come. They've, they've, they're trying to lure those who've escaped into union with God. They're trying to lure them back. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him is also brought into bondage. This can also be translated that the way this is translated is, is a person is overcoming you, so you're in bondage to them. This could also be translated as a thing, by whatever a person is overcome, by that they're brought into slavery. And so they say you do this, you'll be free. But in fact, when they start doing it, now you're captive. And this is the mystery of why we fast, is that we want to be free from having to, free from compulsive consumption. Because when we, we say, oh, I'm free to do that, I'm free to, you know, eat my food, drink my beer, watch my TV and do this. And you only know if you're free, if you're free not to. And by saying no, learning to exercise the no for an extended season, we, we, we work on that freedom because we say no. We say, well, I want to do that. Okay. But you want to, but you're going to discipline and teach yourself at times to say no because, because of the nature of our, of the spiritual life, um, to have a, a, a healthy and free yes to something requires the ability also to say no to it. If you never practice the no, that's where that's from whence addiction comes. And it's not, yeah, that's just the reality of life in this world. We're never going to be completely free from the danger of something having too much a hold on us. So the yes and the no are, are relative. And in, the, and in the church, you know, you have various categories of people, you know, um, 
the monastic tradition exercises a more wholehearted and continuous no. But they are not categorically different. They are different in um, intensity. We're all called to, so for example, um, the monastic tradition is rooted in vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, which take on the form of, I'm not going to own anything. Uh, I'm going to be subject to, you know, the rule of the order, which is God, and, and, and I'm going to be, I'm not going to marry. But every Christian is called to poverty, to be free from the love of money, which we cultivate by the practice of tithing and generosity. We're all called to be under obedience to the scriptures and to the authorities of the church and the community in which we live, to be willing to be subject. Um, and when we're not willing to be subject, that shows our own interior rebelliousness. I'm not going to hear what you want. That's because he did, he's not right. It doesn't matter whether the, the person in charge did it exactly right. As long as not to ask you to do some illegal or immoral, probably is a reason. So poverty, chastity, or obedience, and chastity. Um, there's only two states that the scriptures enjoin. That is, um, to be single and celibate or to be married. There's no, and so, so uh, chastity can be exercised in both of those states. So monastic vow, vows are, are not, oh, they're doing this and we're doing something else. It's a matter of greater intensity but every Christian participates in that in, 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 the, in, a, in a lesser intensity in the same kind. And that's how we stay free. We're, and it, it's the paradox. Why do we give? Ah, church wants money. It's like, no, you, you, we need to give. We need to tithe because otherwise our money will eat us up. Mm -hmm. And I, I've never, I haven't yet met a rich person who, who, who lives with any kind of of real contentment is not very, very generous. And really never met anyone at a level who doesn't, who's, who's, who, even, even if, if, if finances are tight, if people don't learn to honor God first and get some detachment, that all becomes a, a, a kind of, um, obsession. obsession. Yeah, you just, it just, it controls you. And so we gotta be free from it. And it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, too, just uh, these are just facts of our world. You know, we have this thing called the sexual revolution, which promised us freedom. <laughs> and now we're slaves to every manner of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and obedience. It's like this whole idea of, I don't know, in our cultures, because we're inherently rebellion, rebellious because we were born as a revolutionary war, yeah. threw the king's tea into the ocean and said, hell with you. Um, you have to be careful um, in our the way that that independent spirit is un unable to submit mm -hmm. to things, um, and and to, to to really that we have to be willing the submission of of Christ, obedient to death, the submission of the Blessed Virgin, behold the handmaid of the Lord, submitting to the will and word of God in our lives, to be willing to to come under authority because what happens our rebelliousness we think it's about some high principle. It's really about our wound. We're going to fight our battle, recognition, and we're going to cover it up with a, with a righteous cover. I'm fighting for this. You know, you're fighting for You're angry because you've got your nose bent out of joint, and now you're going to prove a point.
and, and to be in touch with yourself enough to let go of that. So submission is actually the, the, the greatest, a great act of freedom because I can do what someone says. I'm free to do it. I'm free to do it or not do it. I don't have to rebel. I'm not reacting to you. I'm doing that out of obedience to God, and therefore I don't have to react to you. So they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, because whatever overcomes us to that, we're enslaved. We have to continually work for our freedom by giving and dispossessing and giving up our battle for, for God's battle. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the later end is worse than the beginning. Who said that last Sunday? When the unclean spirit had gone out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest. And, 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 and then he finds seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they, they come back to find it all swept up, and the last state is worse than the first. So th this is a situation where people have begun this life, but they haven't, they're not wholeheartedly pursuing Christ and open up, and now they go back, and, and it's worse than they were at the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But because it's harder if we fall back after to go back. You can't, you can't redo it. But it happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed <laughs> to a wallowing in the mire. <laughs> it reminds me of the line that, that, that Father David used to always say about you know, getting involved in stupid arguments with people who she said, you don't wrestle with a pig because you both get really dirty. The pig likes it. <laughs> so we'll stop there. Now, next week, I want to give you a heads up that um, I will not be here, but Deacon John will be here. And I commend Deacon John to you because he's a very, very smart guy. You mean Father John? Father John. Father yeah, John. John. No longer uh, I will be going next Thursday on a flight to Colorado. I'm doing a retreat for a mission community in Colorado over the weekend, and so I'll be gone for that week. But Father John, who will celebrate Mass, come up and teach, and he'll do, I'll let him know, yes, 2 Peter 3, and maybe he'll be more expeditious and actually finish it, in which case then we'll be in Passion Tide, and we talked about doing um, something about the prophetic, uh, something prophetic, we maybe look at... Um, Maybe we'll look at Isaiah 53 or something like that and talk through that. So it's about room for a whole book. We'll pick out something from the prophets that pertain to maybe through the prophecy and we'll look at it in the tribe or something like that. All right. Let us pray. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Thank you all. Yeah. Thank you. Mimi, Lindsay, Elizabeth, Jim and Phyllis, good to have you here. Good to be here. Are you guys going to Sacred Heart? In, in... No, we're going to some evangelical outdoor retreat center called Ponderosa. Okay. Um, we're having, it's, it's a family retreat, it's, it's, oh. the kids are coming. You push the uh, end on that sort of course. Please? Thank you.